Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. All right. What's up, everybody? It's your coach. We are back at it again. On this episode, we got... The man, the legend, the head of U Health Sports Medicine, chief of University of Miami Sports Medicine Institute. He's the sports doctor for the Marlins. He's all over the place. He's a legend in his field. By far the smartest person on this show. He doesn't admit it, but I tell him he is. Great dad, great family guy, cares, cares about the community, cares about the sports in his community, cares about the people, more importantly. Super diverse, eclectic dude. Uh, you wouldn't think it, a guy so smart could, you, could be just so chill and so about the people, but he is big into communication, big into being honest. One of my favorite dudes. Dr. Lee Kaplan on today's show. Dr. Lee Kaplan's on today's show. Listen to what it's like to be humble. Listen to what it's like to deal with adversity. Listen what it's like to just communicate. So please subscribe to the podcast. Share with your friends. Share with anybody that needs positivity. Share with anybody that wants to go further in life but don't know how to do it. The guests we bring on the show gives us give us answers give us clues on how to get there so without further delay here's the legend dr lee kaplan let's go Boom, doctor, and we're on. Doctor, how does it feel, man? First question for you, how does it feel to know that you're probably the smartest guy in the room and everywhere, every room you go into, bro? Oh, I, I, I uh, with what I do, HP, I think I'm, I, you could be humbled at any moment. So I'm, I'm happy to be in the discussion. I, I don't know if I need to be the smartest one. Sometimes if people think you're the smartest one, You're not really in the discussion. So I think it's really important to communicate with people, communicate with everybody well. You know, my patient population and the people that I deal with have all different backgrounds, all different uh, educational levels, professions, and uh, I enjoy getting to know every one of them. So, um, you know, I think that humility is really important. Talking about humility, when you started, was there a doctor that you modeled your style after? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, many people have taught me, 
you know, one of the things that I've learned, I, I, I uh, lived with my grandmother for a while and she was really, really smart. And um, I learned that I didn't have to make other people's mistakes. You know, I, there was something little that if I could pick up on not making my own mistake and learning from other people. So some of the doctors I learned from was because I, I figured, you know, they have their style, but I want to do it a little differently. Uh, for me, I picked up from so many people. Um, you know, Dr. James Andrews, who uh, everybody in baseball knows, you know, I didn't know him until I started taking care of the Marlins. I didn't know him in my training and just such a respectful human being uh, uh, gets along with so many people. Uh, Dr. Jim Bradley, who takes care of the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers for over 30 years, was just the president of our National Society. And I've just had the fortune of meeting, you know, most of the uh, team doctors, obviously, that we play with the Hurricanes and then most of Major League Baseball in the NFL. And so, um, you know, I, I've just learned so much from so many different people, many of whom don't even know that they're teaching you, right? It, because they may teach you something with their style. They may teach you because they call you right back. They may teach you because they communicate well with patients. They may teach you because um, of how professional they are with their staff. Uh, Dr. Freddie Fu at Pittsburgh, who's really a legend in the college uh, sports world at, at Pitt, took care of those great teams and Marino and all those guys. You know, he he taught me something interesting, which is, you know, some people as their as your career starts to get towards theirs and you leave that learning mode to kind of getting to their level, people react to it differently. And he always taught me that if if your people leave and go do great things. So one of the things I've always tried to do is is mentor the people that work for me. And today I got a call from Cliff Page. Cliff is a primary care sports doctor. When I got here, he was working for student health at UM. Came did a wonderful job with the Canes and the Marlins, and now is with the Washington Redskins and the and the Nationals. So we were talking about how the Redskins are doing things now. Excuse me, today they became the Washington Football Club. There it is, buddy, the football yeah. team. <laughs> and so, so um, if anything, um, I, I try to learn from everybody. When did you when did you figure out that you wanted to be a doctor? Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. I look at it and say it was probably um, middle school or something like that. But the reality is, it was probably when I was four or five. I had my tonsils taken out of five and I don't remember it, but my mom showed Lisa, my wife, a picture that I, I drew an operating room and I was the team doctor for the New York Giants, which was a team that my family had followed. So, you know, they say that, that oftentimes people want to go into medicine. They just they just know early. Um I was a Joe Namath fan growing up. I played a lot of quarterback in uh, many different positions, 13 years of playing football through the end of college. And and I, I just remember thinking I want to be Joe Namath or, you know, a team doctor. And um, my skill set was better to go on the, on the doctor. <laughs> Dude, so where, did you grow up where, in New York then? I grew up in Palm Beach Gardens, uh, just north of West Palm. But my dad was a college minister, so I was born in New York. My dad's from Brooklyn and then Long Island. My mom's from the Bronx and then Westchester. So my whole family is from New York. How was it up growing, growing up playing football? Is, is that getting hit? I've never experienced to get hit by another human being before in a football field. What's that like, man? You know, it's funny because you have one of two reactions. You're either a kid that really doesn't like to get hit Um I was actually a kid that was was uh, so into it that 
I knew that after that first hit, I, you know, I, I remember getting up and I remember it happening in college. We were playing Georgetown University and somebody just got me from the side on a kickoff. And I remember getting up and my teammates like, what'd you just say? And I said, I told them that was a nice hit, man. But, you know, the next time out, I'm ready. So I was one of those guys that once you got hit, you were kind of into it. So I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that part of it. You know, there, there are times, as you know, as we grow older in life, that you just figure, man, if, if we could just maybe bump each other around a little bit, we'd probably solve some of the problems instead of some of the garbage. Oh, no, of course. Of course. <laughs> what number did you use? I was number two in college. Um, Nate has it now in his room. The university sent me, sent me a jersey. Um, uh, I, I, but I, I was many different numbers. But the number that I was the most was number two. What college, doctor? I went to Johns Hopkins. Johns Hopkins. Known for having a good football team or no? Known for putting out doctors. <laughs> yeah, so, so the reality of, of football and the reality of, you know, even the shirt that I can see on your camera I'm wearing is I grew up in South Florida. Grew up in South Florida since the, you know, the mid-70s. Miami Hurricanes were not a good football program. They were very mediocre. Florida State, very mediocre. Florida was really the team. And, um, uh, you know, my mom worked two jobs. My, my dad worked. Um, the, the tickets at Publix and Burger King were free. So we would come down to some Canes games and uh, became a Canes fan. Um, O.J. Anderson, who was a great Canes running back, was from uh, Forest Hill High School in West Palm Beach. And so uh, we got to see him play and then uh, Jim Kelly. And then um, in 19, uh, 1983, uh, which was my sophomore year of, of high school, um, the Canes had come off like an 8-3 and three season or something, but the starting quarterback, when Kelly got hurt, was a guy named Kyle Vanderway from my high school, Palm Beach Gardens High School. We were 5A, which at the time was the biggest high school. And so, um, you know, really hoping he was going to become the starting Canes quarterback and all that. And some guy from Boardman, Ohio, came in and started. You know, his name was Bernie Kozar. And, um you know, I had the fortune that two fun things happen when you when you talk about life is through everything I've done with the Keens, I've gotten to know Bernie very well. And uh, he's just a fabulous human being. And uh, even a few weeks ago, texting back and forth. And so during COVID, one of the things that, you know, I, I'm not much of watching these replays on sports, but one night they had the, you know, the 1983 team playing the 1984 Nebraska Orange Bowl in Miami. And as you watch that, you realize the Canes could have won 49 and nothing. I mean, they were rolling. Uh, they were up 21, nothing, I think. So um, the Canes win, they win the national championship. We had actually gone, West Virginia was a team that was really dominant back then. They had a quarterback that left Penn state and uh, wound up starting from the New York Giants in the Super Bowl. And I remember coming down, I had never seen people that look like that. Like people look like that now. Coach HP, they had beards and they had these muskets and yeah. West Virginia. They say we were weird in South Florida. I had never seen that. And my dad and I were there and we rolled them. And they were, I think, two or three in the country. And I said, man, and we had lost the opening game 20 to nothing in Florida. So that team wins a national championship. And I had the fortune of going to Joe Namus football camp. You know, I'd work in the summer and I'd make half the money. My dad would would help me. And um, it was one of the only hitting camps. And I had gone the year before, and I was friends with this kid from Brooklyn, another kid from New Orleans, and we were going to room. And, you know, back then you might pick up the phone, but you wrote letters, right? And so I was going into – I had won an award as a quarterback my freshman year, and so I was the second year. I was going back. I was all excited. It was amazing, man. We had 
you know, I threw the ball with Terry Bradshaw and Harold Carmen. I mean, all the guys from that era, because they were all friends with Namath, because Namath was just a, a guy that everybody wanted to be around. And we walk into the dorms and there's two guys, six, five in front of me. And they say, guys, don't, don't mess around too much. These are your counselors, Vinny and Bernie. Now I don't cuss too much, but I turn around and some words came out of my mouth and all of a sudden they start cracking up. They're like, you must be from South Florida because nobody else knows who we are. And Tester Verdi was a backup, um, wound up, wound up eating pizza with us all week. You know, Bernie was a great guy. Bernie told us Tester Verdi was the best athlete on the team. And um, just being around guys like that and, you know, quite frankly, that love for those level of Kane. Somebody asked me today, what are the two best memories of your career? And the first one is probably the day that I got, I have a, a chair. So somebody donated a lot of money to the University of Miami so that forever in perpetuity, there'll be a chair of sports medicine, the Levin sports medicine chair. And at that event, you know, it's kind of about me, but I never felt that way. I felt like, you know, we talk about humility or being humble. You know, my family was there. My kids got to see that I actually have a job, you know, the president of the university. So to say thank you to all those people, my, my dad was in college administration, so it meant a lot to him. And yet they also asked me today, what was your second favorite day? And my second favorite day was 2017, being on the field with Nate, who you know. Um, we beat Notre Dame, night game, just, you know, it was rocking like it used to at the Orange Bowl. Miami was the center of the sports universe, and we were all together, right? I mean, the one thing about people in South Florida that other parts of the country that people don't realize, you know, we do an event for kids every year, and I tell them, like, people are worried about diversity right now. Come look at South Florida. We, we are the mutts of everywhere else in the world that we have come here. We've run from bad political situations. We've, we've come down here for many reasons, and yet, when do we really come together around our teams and around when a hurricane is going on? So the hurricanes and the hurricanes or the heat, or I hope now this year, the Marlins in 60 games opening up in a few minutes. So um, I would tell you that that love of sports combined. So what happened in college is I could have walked on to some of these places. Um, we played a really difficult division. Um, and, but when I started looking at colleges and I went to Hopkins you know, the, the size of the school is probably as big as my high school, but the opportunity to know that I could go on and go on in medicine was, was something I couldn't pass up. And, and it wound up being a great opportunity. Played for four years, uh, small college football, but uh, really great opportunity, great group of people, and, you know, focused on the academics. Doctor, you got real lucky there because what usually happens in the, let's say, in the baseball world is the reverse. Guys think they're going to go pro. And then once they don't go pro, they have no idea what to do with their lives. And they have like that, that lingering hangover of no identity. And they get into this. A lot of them get into like a dark depression. But you got lucky because you had a double purpose. You enjoyed football, but you knew medicine was going to be your thing. How valuable was that, man? Yeah. One of the things that, that I, 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 first of all, you don't have to make a choice, right? In South Florida, clearly, you know, I'm very fortunate. I'm around. You know, Mike Hill and Derek Jeter with the Marlins. I'm around Gino Damari and, and you know, Coach Morris with, with the Canes. And you see that elite level. But what people don't realize is there's some kid coming out of LaSalle this year, going to a small college in North Carolina. And when I talk to him, if he, if he gets hurt and winds up in my office, I always ask the same question. 
How many Miami kids are in your are with you? Oh, Doc, there are nine of us, you know? And so the opportunity to use sports to leverage your education. Listen, if you're good enough, the scouts will see you. You know, whatever level, wherever you play, the reality is very few of us are. And you either walk off the field, you get injured, or you kind of tap out your skill level. So why not use it as an opportunity to get the education part? Um, and you got you to gotta get on that early. You know, you can't limit your opportunities. You have to. So I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I am the guy that knows that if I make a bad decision now, it's going to hurt me moving forward. So I was scared in ninth grade. I knew, hey, I got I to gotta get my grades every day because there's going to be some opportunity. And I just never wanted somebody to say, you know, we like how you play, but you're not quite good enough for our school academically. And so I took that as a secondary challenge. The other thing is um, I saw a couple kids get hurt in high school badly and couldn't play or couldn't play at their level. And, you know, if, if you grow up in South Florida and you play football or you play baseball, you know, and I, I try to explain this. And, and probably the best way I've explained it is every school in South Florida has kids running 4-4 at wide receiver. No other place in the country has that. Maybe a little bit in Texas or California. And so but if you lose a step, hey, you could still make it. You lose two steps, you're 4-6 or you're an average speed guy like I was. And all of a sudden you're running 5-0. You, you can't make it. You can't make it. You you go out, you watch a Canes game, watch a Dolphin game. You see how fast they move. Same for you. If you're a pitcher and you're throwing 90 and then you get banged up a little bit or you have a shoulder problem and now you're throwing 80, it just you, – you so why limit your life to that? And, and there's nothing sadder than somebody that doesn't reach their potential except somebody that gets stuck in time. And we all do it. We all, hey, it's hard to go to the next level, whether it's middle school to high school, high school to college, college to grad school. Then you got to go get a job or you're a great player. Like you and I talked the other day about a player. Your face lit up, you know, nine years with the Dodgers. Yeah, but who was in front of him with the Dodgers? Machado, you know, um, you know, uh, Cody. I mean, so, I mean, there might just be a guy in front of you that you can't get around that shouldn't limit you and what you can do and what you can contribute. Absolutely. Absolutely. Doctor, when you started being a doctor, what point humbly, but what point did you understand that you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I got some talent here. I'm good at this. When did you start to realize that? Um, it really wasn't in the operating. I always felt like I, I, I could operate. It was communication. Um, I spent six years at the University of Wisconsin before President Shalala brought me back to Miami. And um, there was a night that a guy got hurt, our starting quarterback got hurt. And I remember so I did mostly the shoulders and we had a very experienced guy, Ben Graff, a great guy that did the knees of the players. And I remember saying, you know, we're gonna get your MRI on Monday. And afterwards he said to me, you looked at me kind of funny. Did you, is there something else you're thinking about? And I said, yeah, I said, this guy's playing in front of 80,000 people for the university. We got six MRIs at the hospital. Why don't we get him an MRI in the morning? Why don't we get him an MRI tonight? Why don't we do the best we can do for him? So he said, that's a good idea. We just haven't done it that way. So we, we got the MRI and talking to him and listening to the player and knowing that you never know where the opportunities come from. I mean, one of my biggest opportunities was a coach that, um, I remember on a Saturday night coming home from dinner at 10 o'clock at night and he called 
And he said, I need you to take care of my player. And I, I didn't take care of that team. But I had taken care of a track athlete who went back and said, you know, this doctor told me what was really going on. Didn't tell me it was going to be perfect. And that was just me, you know. And so I think growing up with a lot of different types of people, having the experience as an athlete myself just helped me communicate well. And so there was a point where I just said, you know, I can do that. And I've been very fortunate. I, I've taken care of, you know, yesterday my clinic was one of the best tennis players that ever played, the, you know, tennis. And she and I were talking about competitiveness, you know, when you go on in life. And having that ability to be comfortable with different people and just talk, you know, e even you and I getting to know each other, I mean, never do I say call me doctor. You know, it's just if you can communicate with people, that's your first opportunity, I think, then you can show them the skill set. Uh, as a surgeon, if you have to go tell everybody that you're good, it's over. You, you just better line up and throw the 90 mile an hour pitch when you need to. And occasionally, it, and occasionally the sinker. No, of course. And isn't it funny, man, that it all goes down to basic one-on-one listening, speaking, being honest, listening, speaking, being honest. I, it, for me, it was hard, dude. Growing up, my honesty wasn't so good. So I was always a white liar with a lot of stuff because I didn't like my reality. Have you always been an honest dude? Is that something that you learned from your parents? Where did you get that? That's a difficult one that we probably always are all working on, right? Because there's that line between how you present yourself and how you feel about yourself that's sometimes different, right? So I got stuck in a lot of unique situations early, right, because of academics. Um, you know, my sports friends weren't necessarily my class friends. So... How do you do that? How do you communicate well? When I went to college, I didn't know anybody. Um, how, how, do you, how do you evolve? Um, how do you learn to communicate with people when things aren't going well? Um, it, it for sure wasn't always perfect. And, and especially at a young age, a couple things, you know, happen. I'll tell you what, what happened to me was that unique ability, and I credit my grandmother, that I didn't have to make the mistake to learn the lesson. So I think it was 1982. I'm 14, 13, 14, about to go into high school. And I, we were all friends in our neighborhood. We all played sports in our neighborhood. One of the best athletes was three years older than me. He was a junior in high school. And um, Billy, two doors down, lived one house in between us. And... Um, in November of my eighth grade year, so before high school, he's a he he would have been a senior and I was a would have been a freshman. So, um, growing up in South Florida, they're coming home from the beach, go around the corner. He's in one seat, his best friend's in the other. Best friend's sister needs a ride home. They're at the party, come around a curve, intoxicated, hit the hit the barrier. She goes through from the back seat, dies right through. Wow. And if it happened three months later, because Florida changed drunk driving rules, he would have been in jail and just a horrible situation. And it made me realize young, like if you get in the wrong car, if you do. So I was I, I messed up on a lot of little things, I think. But those big things, uh, hopefully I've been aware of the consequences. I can't say I've always done them well, um, but I've been aware of those decisions. So you lived in Wisconsin, you said, for a little bit? Yeah, we lived in Wisconsin and knew nobody, not a cold weather guy. 
Um, I was in Washington, D.C. for med school, Baltimore for college, and Pittsburgh, Miami for residency, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania for two years for fellowship. None of those places is cold like Wisconsin. Wisconsin, another level. <laughs> which of all those places, would you, which did you like the best? Other than Miami, which other of those places? No, it's a weird question because wherever I was, I liked it. I, I can't yeah. say like one more than the other. We hadn't been back to Wisconsin in a long time. We were back last summer and, you know, just loved it. Loved being around the people and everything. But in the back of my head, if Miami ever called, I was coming. Yeah. Doctor, why are so many kids getting injured other than, let's say, accidents? What advice do you have to prevent injuries? What knowledge do you have that you can share with parents, with players to help them out so they don't get stuck getting their kids either burnt out or having to visit you way earlier than they should? Yeah, really good question. I think I think it's a combination of a few things. Number one, we're much better at diagnosing it. If, if you and I talk to our friends or thought back, there's some really good athletes that we knew that just, hey, they couldn't play past their junior high school. Or, you know, I'm sure if we talked to the Columbus coaches, they could tell us, oh man, he was great, but something happened, but it was in the 70s or 80s. We didn't do MRIs on everybody. We didn't quite know, right? Or talking to my uncle, oh, I have a trick knee. No, you tore your ACL. It should have been fixed, but it was 1960, right? So I think we didn't have the diagnostic tools we have now. That's number one. Number two, we're playing too much, right? So many of us played multiple sports throughout the year. And when you look at it, that ability to play and then recover. I was talking to a guy in the NBA bubble today, and the biggest thing he and I were talking about is his whole season of eight games is going to be in like 17 days. So how do you recover? And I think that what has happened, if you compare the Marlins players versus uh, a really good high school player playing all year round down here, as soon as the Marlins season's over, which has unfortunately been <laughs> the beginning of October, but hopefully this year, the end of October, When the, when the season ends, a lot of those guys don't pick up a ball, as you know, until January. They're starting to work out. They usually get a month off. They might go on a trip. But they're first getting their bodies prepared. Then they're picking up a ball. Then they pick up a bat. Then they – guys aren't getting on a mound until January, a lot of them. It, but if you compare that to – and they're throwing every five days, the starting pitchers. If you compare that to a younger person now, they're not doing it. You know, I give my a lot of credit to, to Coach J.D., uh, the pitching coach in Miami. For a long time, he hasn't wanted our, our pitchers to pitch in summer league ball. Now, um, you know, that may change over time, but because if he feels like they have too many innings. So I think the biggest thing is we need to give younger kids time to recover, and then we need to listen to them. So if they're telling you over and over, and you know an example very well that I know, hey, my arm hurts, my arm hurts. You know, you got to listen, get the MRI. Hey, you could still hit, you could still catch, but let's give your arm a break. It's a, how important is that communication, man? And how often are you still at a point where people question what you say? No, they agree when they're in clinic and then they call me coach like two days later and say, but this is a showcase doc. He's got to play. Um, I don't ever mind being challenged. Um, I would much rather be when I can address it. Um, I think, you know, the interesting thing is if you're under 18 years old, your parents have to sign or your or you're, you're person that's raising you, whatever, grandparents. But 
I know these kids are making bigger decisions every day going to any, any, any school in Dade County. They're making bigger decisions than anything I could do, but it's their body. So I make a point of making sure that they understand they're taking ownership of the physical therapy and they bought in um, because it's a partnership. I, I'm giving them a diagnosis, but to help them get better uh, surgically or non-surgically, they have to understand it and understand why to get better. And then they can communicate it with coaches. Unfortunately, with this, with the different teams, you don't always have the same staff. I don't think any coach is trying to hurt a kid. I think what winds up happening is, you know, somebody misses time at the end of the, the high school season, and then all of a sudden they're playing summer ball, and the summer ball coach doesn't really understand what went on. So, like you said, it's the basics, right? Communicating, being thoughtful, um, you know, respecting somebody, looking at them, making sure your messaging is heard. What is your vibe, your difference when you either with, let's say, the Marlins or with you're with uh, Miami football? What What's the difference? Are you the same person or because football is a little more your sport, do you tense up a little bit? Like, how do you operate, man? I hope at this point tensing up isn't happening. Um, first of all, the games are totally different. So I hope that I'm addressing it the same. Um, professional athletes are different than college athletes in, in many ways. You know, they're taking care of their families. Um, it's a different sport. I had to learn about the game. Like, I knew baseball, but I didn't know baseball. I had to understand the DL. I had to understand the importance of moving players up and down. I had to understand that a pitcher might not pitch with a blister on her finger. You're a quarterback. You're, you're playing with a blister on your finger. But I also had to learn the length of the season, the length of the game. You're not worried about missing five games in April. I need this guy in September. So a lot of it was me being open to the educational part of it. The intensity, not the tensing up, but yes, the decisions we make on a football field um, can at times be not only more instrumental in that game, but definitively have a higher risk, right? So we had a kid in the 2018 playing Wisconsin, that 2017 Great Canes team, uh, a really good cornerback. You know, my neck doesn't feel right. People say, oh, are you concussed? And I looked at him and we started talking. I said, he doesn't have a concussion. What's wrong with your neck? We went through, we went through, we got, he turned out he broke his neck on a tackle. That's not a situation where I could say, oh, you know, we got to beat this team. So on the field, although I'm the biggest homer for the Canes, <clears throat> I don't really take care of the Canes football team. I take care of the players on the team, right? And they all have a mother and a father and a grandparents and, and their own life to go on. And, so you can't make decisions that um, are going to put them in jeopardy. And so for me, um, you just have to have big shoulders because there are many times where we've said, coach, you can't go back in the game. And it has nothing to do with what the scoreboard says or how many people are in the stands or how important the game is. You can't. And the funny thing is, HP, it does get down to those things you talked about, which are so important, and I need to let you talk about them. But respect, for instance, because – if, if you play a hurt player and you that kid knows it and you lose the locker room, it's over for what I do. It's over. I mean, people have tried that. They, those, those, the players are very bright. They'll know that. They can smell if our intentions are the best intentions. 
So there's nothing more satisfying to me than the call I got today with a player going back, you know, to play the eight game NBA season and, and maybe the playoffs or, you know, a Duke Johnson who, who has a horrible ankle fracture against Florida state. Now he's already been in the league for six years and can take care of his family. Alan Hearns, you know, these guys have generational wealth and that they get their education. Some of them, the first graduate from college, but you sign a $40 million contract and you're 23, 24, 25 years old. You know, for me, that's super satisfying because I know that they, they can take care of a lot of people with that. And so for me, that's the biggest reward. It's funny. You said that man, happiness. I see you as strikingly a happy dude. Have you been like that your whole life? Like just <laughs> watching stuff, you know, I, I do get you in a happy place a lot, you know, but do you uh, find yourself being that way all day? So the answer is no, I'm, I'm always pushing. And if you walk by me at the right time, in fact, people will describe me in different ways because I, I may not be fine. But, um, you know, as I've gotten older, I, you know, I, we've, we've all been through a lot in life and, and I've been through different things and, um, especially with COVID and, and, you know, I do wake up and whatever your religious, spiritual, whatever, I, I do show gratitude every day. I mean, I'm really happy I can take care of patients right now. I'm really happy that I think the University of Miami is, is very, very much on the front line of uh, trying to solve something. I mean, we're in, a, we're in a difficult place in Miami right now, you know, at the time we're talking. Um, and I'm super appreciative of that. That said, I am always pushing because I feel like in some weird way, if I don't accomplish what I have the potential to accomplish, um, that somehow is letting, letting, it's a disappointment, whether it's to your family or to yourself or whatever. Um, but I, I, I get upset with myself. You know, there's a Van Morrison song and, and I don't listen to a ton of his music, but he says, I, I'll never get that old again. And I'm 52 years old. And the reality of the situation is that I take what I do seriously, but I don't take myself that seriously. And I, I one of the questions that I've asked people, which is important is what would you tell your 10 year old, 12 year old self? If I would have told that 14 year old, that was in really bad bleacher seats that, you know, those old orange bowl seats used to make my legs itch because they had so much fiberglass. Yeah, it was horrible. If I would have told that kid, that kid that was in a rainstorm when Flutie threw the pass because my coach got us there for a dollar a ticket, the, the kid that, you know, uh, Alex Rodriguez and I once were joking about different places you could sneak in the orange bowl at Mark Light Stadium um, when you were a kid. And I remember even as a resident, you could go in through this media area and I could sneak into the orange bowl that now I go in on the bus. Are you kidding me? That they actually are letting me do this. So in a weird way, at the end of the day, you got to smile and say, you know, keep fooling them, like do what you do and enjoy it. And I think fortunately or unfortunately in what I do, people know if you, you don't enjoy it. And, and I would never want somebody I was taking care of to think that I didn't want to be there. I mean, that's, that's really good. That's really good. Doctor, what's your favorite type of music? Oh, it depends who you talk to. I, I listen to everything. Um, I listen to rap. 
Um, oh, okay. Who do you like in rap? Who? What kind of rapper do you like? Oh man, it's it's very diverse, and my kids are maybe more diverse. But um, I will I will admit that when I took my daughter and her friend to Beyonce and Jay Z, I knew every word of one of the singers, and it wasn't Beyonce. Um, <laughs> I, um, uh, you know, one of the funny things, and he put it out there, so I could tell you, but. You know, I asked Little Wayne before we operated on him, um, and because he put it out there, I can say this: that you know, I said, you know, we're going to play your music. He put out there that I was dope because we listened to his music. But um, you know, it's different piece of all old Rolling Stones. Never liked them growing up. Now I really appreciate them. And you know, they're 80 years old and still going. A lot of you too. A lot of Bob Marley, um, reggae. Listen occasionally to opera, Pavarotti. Don't know a lot about country music. And then all of a sudden, somebody started asking if they could play some country music, started listening to Florida, Georgia Line, and that kind of stuff. So very diverse. Um, and one of the things that I, I do two things sometimes when I see young athletes. If they have headphones on, I make them put on a song and let me listen to it um, because I'll learn something about them. And then I always tell them they'll heal better if their grades are good. And they usually start laughing at that. But um, my music is is pretty diverse. What about you? Who do you listen to? I like rap. I like rap. I like rap. I like uh, I like Sinatra too, you know. So I'm uh, like some some Spanish dudes, some reggaeton guys, but I like Spanish too. So I'm, uh, I'm like that, man. I'm a little bit of, I can appreciate. Uh, funny enough, I never knew who Florida Georgia line was but when i spoke at oregon state they were i got them in a practice and there's nothing like i i tell this to people a lot there's nothing like being in because to me at least america is miami's not america because miami's different you know almost like miami's an extension of cuba or something it's like totally different but like being in these american places where you see these beautiful fields And Oregon State has this beautiful turf field, and you see the mountains in the background, and it was in during the fall. So you see the leaves and stuff, man, and it was nice and cool with a breeze. And they had a uh, holy from Florida. I remember shazamming it. And it's and they, they went through oh, it was all country, the whole BP. And I was like, man, this is a good groove. You know what I'm saying? So, dude, I'm like you, man. I appreciate it. I appreciate that so much. Doctor, let's talk about being a dad, man. When you first became a father, how old were you? Just 38. 38. Almost like me. I'm on pretty much the same thing. Did that change your life at all? Did that change your perspective at all? Um, 36, actually. I was 36. Um, 38 with Nate, 36 with Dina. Um Actually, the first thing that happened was different. It, uh, obviously, the first thing I wanted was make sure my wife was all right. And and I, I actually couldn't believe it. Like, especially as much science as I know, I, there are two things I remember. Holding the baby and thinking, do they really think I could take care of this kid? But if if she doesn't eat, like if I don't help her, we're in trouble, right? The second thing I remember is... I don't get upset too often. Maybe a couple times a year, I'll get really frustrated. I could not figure out that car seat. And I remember <laughs> I was like, 
I got to figure this stuff out. This is unfortunately after the car seat, but it does change you. It should change you. You have responsibilities beyond yourself and you quickly realize that um, whatever you do, whether you know it or not, there are a pair of eyes on you. That's that. See, that's important there. And I tell that to so many parents, especially parents of younger kids. I go, listen, they're going to watch you. They're going to see how you deal with adversity. They're going to imitate you. Start now. Change now. Doctor, I'm going to have the same combination you have. Two years apart, I had the girl first. The boy should be born now in, they say, September. All right. September. How was it having a daughter versus having a son? What what differences did you see? Um. Really interesting question. You know, the we had some challenges when my daughter was born. She was born with cranial synostosis. So her growth plate was prematurely fused in her head. So she needed major neurosurgery, plastic surgery at five months. A lot of these kids aren't. They have a lot of other issues, mental issues in terms of brain development, eyes. She's fortunately uh, been fine. It was only that. Um, so the first thing I felt, we found out about it three weeks in her life. So the first thing was we're fortunate. So if anything, it was, should we have another child, right? And then, um, you know, I took her everywhere. So, you know, the, I took her to the training room. I, the athletes all knew her. Um, people who see her now can't believe it because she was, you know, like uh, just holding on to my finger, walking in. And then... And she's very athletic. So, um, you know, some of the things I think people get caught up in, you know, we were just happy to have her and have her healthy. In terms of having a son, that was interesting because now so many things you went through, you can identify with. And and it is different, right? And it's not different, good or bad, either way. It's just... Um, what his interest level is in certain things and hers. So I had to learn how to be interested in the little girl stuff, but the little boy stuff, it, you just, it comes more naturally. Doctor, how similar are you to you as a dad versus your dad as a dad to you? Um, that's a really good question. Um, you know, it's interesting because you think back of what your dad was at that point and now, you know, my dad's 79. It's a different time in his life. Um, I would hope that I'm very similar in a couple of things. I played on some really good teams, coach, and I played on some horrible teams. I played on an optimist team that we were so bad and we used to go throughout South Florida. And I mean, every week I, I still can't drive. If I drive on, on 95 by Pompano Beach, Eli, we got so bad there. I was telling this kid the other day who went to school there. I said, man, I saw the fastest kid on our team taken all the way out on the track and dumped. And I'll never forget. We would just go to Burger King, sit down, onion rings, a burger, talk it out, and then leave it. And so he was really, really good at that. My dad had a really good sense of humor. Um in some ways, maybe I have a different level of patience than he had. Um, I think he had, you know, they had different challenges during those times than, than I had. 
Um, but I think in terms of him prioritizing at a certain point saying, you know what, I got to prioritize my kids over my career, over other issues I have. I think that was, that was really good and really critical. So if anything, I hope a lot of similarities, especially at this point in, you know, the, the 14 and 16 year olds lives. I, I think you are one of the better sports dads I've ever dealt with. Cause I see you with your son and I see you patient. I see you encouraging. I see you honest. Have you always been like that? You know, I believe so. And I'll tell you why, you know, my kids have grown up around all kinds of people. What's been going on in the United States the last couple of months with, you know, I, I listen to people and I hear them say my something friend, you know, you're never going to be my Hispanic friend. You're going to be my friend. Then maybe I hopefully aren't not going to be your Jewish friend. Um, that's just part of me. Right. So we, my kids have had everything around them already. Um, although you might not think this is, is the United States, baby, we are now the United States. The rest of the United States is waking up to see we're here. Right. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I think what it comes down to in sports is this. If you're really a player and, and you know, my baseball player, and what I've said is, if you're really a player, someone will see you. And we oftentimes walk in on the home plate side at the Canes games. And part of it's intentional because they're always 12 or 15 scouts. And I know a bunch of them. And I know that if you're good enough, they'll see you play. I also know the kids know who's good enough. And so I think it's very important to be supportive. I think if you're going to be a great athlete, you have to have the ability. Yes, there are guys that are just that skilled, but the majority aren't. Even, even watching the Yankees last night, they're, they are as talented as they are, but I know some of them, and I watched them struggle and bat 220, 230, right? So the guy that jacked that homer last night to win it for the Yankees, I've seen him on bad days too. And so, you know, you're always talking to him about going after that low outside cheese. I've, I've seen people miss badly on that. So that ability in life to say, today wasn't my best day, I'm either going to wear it and then let it go, or I'm going to become that, right? I'm going to and it doesn't help. And so I think being encouraging. So I'm as supportive as they want to be. Um, you know, I, I've been fortunate. My daughter plays tennis. I've been fortunate to see literally the best tennis players in the world and some of the best baseball players in the world. And so if you want to play those two sports, I think I have the ability to guide you to try to get the most out of your ability. You're not trying to be Giancarlo. You're not trying to be Venus or Serena. You're trying to be the best you can be. And then I explain to them, it's not their fault. They've got my genes. So right, right. You know, make sure you take care of the academic side, and then I'll give you as much support on the athletic side as possible. I mean, you've seen when I show up, it's not easy to get there from what we have to do during the regular day. But um, – that combination of, of it, I, what I once heard, which I think about a lot and I've seen with you is 
a great coach knows when to put their arm around a kid and when to kind of kick them, kick them in the butt a little bit and say, you got to get going. And I think everybody needs a little of both. It's just when, like, if you see somebody getting down on themselves, you could, Hey, that's fine, but you're going to miss the next five balls or all right, pick it up. Be, be, you know, cause the best athletes just have that, that they're going to make the next shot. You, you know, what I've told my son is, and, and it was fun watching it because he doesn't have that knowledge base of watching the Jordan special recently. Michael Jordan missed more final shots than anybody in history, but he took them, right? And um, I think that's life a little bit. How special is it when you're to watch your son play? Like in days where you'd never be outside, And you watch them train, and yeah, you're on your phone doing your thing. But how special is it, man? Do you ever think of that, or are you just in day-to-day -day mode while you're there and you're not enjoying that, or is no, it 50-50? I enjoy it. He, um, you know, and I can tell when something happens where it clicks. Um, there was a ball hit down the line that he made a, he made a play for and backhanded today. Not a chance a month ago that play gets made. And um, that, that to me was special. Um, before, before COVID, we played a game. His team played a game at the park right next to FIU against Florida Christian. And there was a shot down the third base line that he got a hold of and threw, threw, the guy, threw it to first. Um, I'm not even sure how he stopped the ball. Um, and everybody was just like, that. that's unbelievable. So to be there and have that time. Now, I will tell you, um, it's easier for me to operate on a major leaguer's elbow than to, than, than to watch my daughter serve in a close match or him get up the right, right, right. You know, right, you right, have right. a different set of feelings that you'll see. But um, it's special. It's special. I don't want to miss those times. I I do have an appreciation that it's a set number of days I'll be able to watch, meaning, you know, there's a time they go to college, there's a time they may stop playing, there's a time. So I, I don't I don't want to miss those. That's a that's a great answer. A couple more, Doctor. You had a show on Twitter, I think, no? What was the show called? What got you to start the show? What did you learn from doing the show? I know it's on hiatus now for a little bit, I think, but talk to me. What got you to start thinking that route? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I Our national meeting was a couple of weeks ago, and, and I uh, I was introduced and did something like what you and I were doing with Al Michaels from uh, Sunday Night Football. And afterwards, he's like, you got to do a show again. And so um, I think with your encouragement, I'll start it up again. What it was was almost like what we're talking about. So we do this leadership conference for kids. It started with about 50 of them. The reason for that is we had two Miami Central players uh, get arrested in the same week. This is going back 11 years ago. Uh, one for guns, one for drugs. And so we tried a top-down approach, brought them in for a day on how to use sports and activities because the NCAA won't let it just be sports to get ahead in life. And um, so what we started the show for was to, to ask some people, you know, about what motivates them, what gives them that 
initiative, what gets them out of bed in the morning. You just know when people are, are enjoying what they do and passionate about being the best at it. And then I asked them the question that almost I said to you without thinking about it, which is what would you tell your 10 or 11 year old self if you could see where you are now? And um, had some great answers. Um, coach Meyer from UM, our basketball coach, she had a fabulous answer about, you know, uh, her pitching. And she was the best pitcher in her little league in Chicago. And um, Mike Hill gave some phenomenal answers. You know, people don't realize that um, Mike actually has a, a part of his background is Cuban, but he grew up in Cincinnati. And so he, you know, he talked to me about, how um, at a really young age, you know, they were bringing him cafe con leche. So, you you know, you learn about people, but also what drives them. That's that's good. Who were your, some of your favorite guests? Um, I saw Venus. She got a lot of attention, and, and she was a really – she's really, really good. Um you know, it's interesting. I really enjoyed Mike Hill and I really enjoyed Coach Meyer because I, I feel like I know them so well. Um, and yet you learn when you ask questions. So one of the things I've gotten much better at, I think, is listening. This wouldn't be a good example of it because you've asked me these softball questions. But, um, you know, getting to really know somebody and know where they come from, you know, Uh you may not recall, but I remember, I, I have a weird memory. Um, I'm not photographic on books, but I remember all conversations. And so I remember you making a couple of comments about your own childhood and your dad and stuff. And so even you taking the time to ask me about mine, that, that makes it special. Thank you, man. That's, that's really cool. Doctor, any questions for me, man? Anything I can answer for you? Yeah. What, what drives you in terms of, you know, teaching players, um, going back, uh, you could do so many things with, with your talent level and, and your communication level. And, and yet, you know, I've just seen how you take to kids, you dedicate it, you know, whether people know this or not, we spend every Sunday morning together now, you're, you know, you're like our family priest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, it's interesting. Nobody growing up, everybody saw what my dad was doing to me from my mom, my sister, relatives, everybody. And nobody did anything. Nobody stopped them. People knew. I, I remember my, my cousin who's like, you know, in the Cuban family, the pediatrician, the doctor is like the guy, you know, it's like the guy. And I remember him telling, and I was probably, I think I was 13. And he goes to my dad in front of me. He goes, listen, you're so lucky you ended up with a son like the one you have. Because if your son would have been my middle child, which I think at the time the middle child was like seven or eight, he would have packed up a suitcase and left a long time ago. And I always thought to myself, why did I deal with so much? And then I think to myself, well, if you ask, the now let's put your question into the mix. What would I ask? My What would I tell my 10-year-old self now? And the answer is, you were right. I would tell my 10-year-old self right now is that you were right. That everything that you were going through one day is going to all come together. And the reason why I am that way with everybody is because nobody was like that with me. Everything that I've gotten, even till today, 
even till today, I've had to get. No one's handed me nothing. We're talking about that I didn't have a... Because there's different levels of poverty. But there's also different levels of lifestyle. And I didn't grow up with a TV in my room. Doctor, we all had to eat together. And then what do you do when you're getting abused physically via sport? And you don't have a TV in your room. Your dad's with you 24-7. You have nowhere to escape. You start escaping in your head. And that's what I when I go. And I just, I'm, I'm very spiritual. And I beg God at some point, I go, listen, man, if you give me, if you could just give me enough credentials so that people can trust me, because you need that. And one of the biggest problems my dad had was, I think he was a, he was a very smart dude, but he's a frustrated Pepsi worker his whole life. And I'm talking about like blue collar guy, like stocking the shelves and stuff like that. And he was a calculus instructor in Cuba and like really, really, really smart. And he learned baseball from watching and never played a lot, but he watched and he knows a lot of baseball. And he was always giving advice. My dad was always giving advice. But the problem is you'll take advice from a Dr. Lee Kaplan, but you're not going to take advice from a Pepsi worker that his lifestyle doesn't match that advice. And I saw he would give good advice a lot of times and people would just ignore that. You know what I mean? So I said to myself, I go, if and when I start getting this platform, because my goal is, I mean, at this time, two years, I had, doctor, if I could tell you, I probably had 50 kids I was working with intense. Now my goal is this that I'm doing right now. The talking on social, the having a show, the encouraging of others. Somebody asked me today, I did a post today on social that a lot of people are reaching out to me now. People who played with me or strangers, they'll be like, coach, man. You're such an inspiration to be on social, to be comfortable. I'm in trouble getting out of my shell. And I go, a lot of it is, I'm guessing, is that you have trouble explaining your failures. Because what are people going to think of me? What if I tell Lee Kaplan that I wet my bed because of trauma to the age of 14 because I was getting abused and I didn't know what that was. And then my mom would have to take out the mattress so it could air dry outside. And all these things. And then somebody gave me a comment back and said a comment like, you know what? You've, I, I think it's better if you fail to fail in, how about you don't have to put it on the internet. You can just keep it and keep it amongst, you know, your friends, loved one, et cetera, et cetera. Because today, nowadays, what you put on the internet stays there forever. And I go, yes, but then you can't be a social media. You can't be an internet person if you're only going to put on the internet when your kid hits a home run. If you're only going to put on the internet when you have the best operation of all time, because then you're a fake. Because like you said, the greatest athlete of all time failed more than anybody. And what I try to do is I try to instill in people that the winning is in the effort and attitude, not in the outcome. And the more honest we are about ourselves, I'll do this. When you come back on your show and you start at episode one, wherever you get back and you say your truth, that's it, man. You're going to become more relatable than anybody else. Yeah, I think, you know, that that is is right on. And, you know, depending on what you do, it, the ability to show vulnerability. Um, and so and I think that that can be a gift when you ask about kids. You know, one of the 
one of the things to know is, you know, you're not perfect. You don't need straight Asia. What you need to do is figure out that when you do get challenged, you have the ability to get through it. And I mean, what you have been through is remarkable. And the fact that you can then share it and, and, and go from there is, is awesome. So, um, you know, I, I would happily do anything you ask me to do. And, uh, the first guest on the show is going to be you. And no, uh, I love it. I, get I love it. Um, you know, one of the advantages of your forum is we can really get into it. The, the Twitter forum, I think, you know, the, the two minute deal is, is difficult. Um, but thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for your time. And, uh, um, you know, I really appreciate it and getting to know you and I know all the famous people you have on your show. So to, to have me is, uh, is a little bit embarrassing, but hopefully, uh, Hopefully people don't turn off your uh, social. <laughs> dude, you, you probably operated on all of them. So don't, don't, don't put yourself down there, dude. Don't put yourself down. Doctor, you're the best, man. Thank you so much. I've known you for a little bit, but I felt like I've known you my whole life, dude. So I am so blessed to, to even have you on this, to talk to you, to have a man of your knowledge, even though we never really talk about your knowledge. We talk about other stuff, but just to have you in the group of my core people, man, Makes me very, very, very happy for that. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Have a great weekend. I'll see you soon. All right. Enjoy your night. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. There it was. There it was with the doctor. Humble, smart, making moves, helping everybody out. Again, thank you for listening to the whole podcast. Got nothing but love from you guys. Remember, at Coach HP and our handles, anything you need, I got you. At the end of the day. Please go hard and do your thing. See you on the next one. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs>